Turn your Bibles with me, please, church. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. I'm going to be reading this morning from verses 1 through 11, but we're only going to cover verses 1 through 5 in our study today. There's a lot of information here um, that I just do not want to take for granted. There's a lot of priceless stuff here uh, that oftentimes, because we've been in church for a very long time, we like to either gloss over it or we take it for granted because we know it so well. But I'm not going to do that today. Uh, as simple as it may seem to us, uh, like I said already, we even take it for granted. But we're not going to do that today. We're going to cover um, a lot of material in these first five verses. When you have it, say amen. amen. Romans 5. And I want to discomfort you for a little while. Can you stand with me if you have it? That way I get a gauge for who's still looking for it and who has found it. Except you, brother. You can, you can remain seated. Behind you, Charlotte. The gentleman in the chair. Amen. Read with me. <clears throat> Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I love that. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Go figure. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. I love that too. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more. Can somebody say much more? Much more. Come on, one more time. Much more. more. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Father, we thank you for this particular passage from your word. Father, we thank you so much for the liberty to actually be able to read your word in society today. I'm thankful that we are still free to be able to do this. May you bless it. May you sanctify our hearts by it. May you sanctify our souls by it. May you sanctify our lives by it. And may you purify us and make us more like you today. Father, we love you for it. We praise you for it. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The theme of this one book, if you haven't already made note of it, is salvation by faith. Through God's grace. The theme of Romans is salvation by faith 
through God's grace. And it's been interesting so far getting through these first four chapters of this one particular book uh, for many reasons. And one of the reasons um, is because of the style that Paul the Apostle actually uses to teach us this one vital message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You probably already took notice of it, that he uses this question and answer format to get through, at least to get through these first four chapters of his book. And he did it because he wanted to expose and dismiss every ideology, every method, every message, every doctrine contrary to the message of truth in Christ Jesus. And how many know there were a lot of voices that existed in society back then, especially in the region of Rome and Greece and many metropolis areas just like that, where there was just so many voices of religion vying for mankind's attention. And Paul purposely and intentionally uses this question and answer format because he wanted to stamp out these doctrines that were contrary to the message found only in Jesus Christ. I want you to turn over to chapter 3. I want you to see this with me for a moment before we proceed. Genesis, um, chapter 3, Romans chapter 3. And I want you to look at verses 27 through 31. And what he does here is that he contrasts grace with the law because he wanted to give faith greater value in the minds of his readers. He was contrasting grace with the law. Read with me 27 through 31. It says, and what becomes of our boasting? That's the question. It is excluded. That's the answer. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. In other words, there was no glorying in. There's no personal effort with this thing called Christianity. So that at the end of the day, you can pat yourself on the back and say, look at what I've been able to accomplish in my life. There, none of that is permissible in this grace. Right? It's excluded. And the, the imaginary opponent is saying, well, wait a minute, how... How is it actually excluded when we've been living this way for eons now? And Paul says, no, 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 that's, that's just not the case. And it's actually never been the case. He says, no, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. This is a message that's extremely important in society today. How many of you, how, how many of you know of someone who is involved in a religion that is based on works. Probably every single one of us. And he goes on. Who is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who would justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? And Paul says, by no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. And again, as I told you already, it's worth repeating that Paul uses this style, question and answer. It's called the diatribe, right? And, and a number of other techniques that he actually utilizes. And he did it because he wanted to stamp out every voice 
contrary to the voice or to this message that we find in Jesus Christ. Is it important in your life? It's important in my life that I make sure at the end of the day that my life, that my spirituality is rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. How many of you know, if we haven't already talked about it, we will cover it in this one particular book, that if you adhere to a message contrary to the one by faith through grace, you nullify the grace of God. You actually cancel out grace when you try to live your life by some system of works. Let's move on. Go back with me to um, Romans chapter 5. Right here in this one particular passage, Paul the Apostle, he kind of switches gears a little bit. He doesn't borrow from the diatribe anymore. There's no question and answer format here. He switches gears and he begins to lay out Powerful truths from the gospel from the perspective of faith. You need to make note of that in your mind. Yes, we've been covering faith so far, but he's going to really, really get into it right now. And everything he says is from this wonderful perspective of faith. We're going to discover in these first five verses a working model concerning the benefits of faith. In case you're writing down. Paul gives us a working model concerning the benefits of faith. And there are three things that he talks about here that are absolutely fundamental to our faith. Number one, Paul tells us that faith... um, Listen, by the way, I I apologize. I'm working on it. I'm working on it, Angie Gutierrez. I'm working on it. It's just, here it is. I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to be transparent. We have meetings during the week, and, and I like to visit some people during the week as well. Early in the week, that is, I should say, early in the week. And when I come to settle down, say, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, or Wednesday night, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, to actually study and read, I get so much reading done, so much writing and, and typing done, that I, I lose track of time. I never end up with time to do the PowerPoint. Uh, I'm working at it. I'm working at it, Okay. So, number one, again, these are the three things that we're going to cover here in the message today. Number one, Paul tells us that faith has given us peace with God. Faith has given us peace with God. Number two, faith has given us access to God's grace. Faith has given us access to God's grace. They may sound similar, but the emphasis is different. And we're not going to take it for granted. We're going to cover this. And number three, faith gives us proper perspective about tough times. Faith gives us proper perspective about tough times. Look at verse one with me in your text. We're going to begin. It says, therefore, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is where Paul lays out the first principle in our study with God. Faith, I'm going to repeat it again, faith gives us peace with God. What we're going to do now, and I want to share some verses with you because I want to give you some context to this. I want to contrast this with the wrath of God 
so that you can somehow be able to pull greater value from what Paul the Apostle is actually saying here. I want you to turn with me or just listen. But if you want, if you're quick with your fingers, Psalm 78 verse 31. Psalm 78 verse 31. And again, I'm contrasting God's grace with His wrath so that we can gain context about the importance of His grace. I don't want to lose sight of this. Psalm 78, verse 31, and it says, The wrath of God rose against them, and He killed the strongest of them, and laid low the young men of Israel. And why is the case? Why is that? Why is it that God did this? Why is it that God in the Old Testament, this one particular passage, this one particular context, why is it that so many people actually died? The reason is because they were rebellious and they were not children of God. Just because they were Hebrew people did not necessarily mean that they were children of God. We're going to discover that. If you haven't already made note of it from the Romans chapter so far, that children, by the way, that's Romans chapter 4. Children of God are those who embrace His word by faith. That would be like saying that just because Israelites or the Jewish people in Israel today, just because they're Jewish people, they're automatically their children of God. That's not the case at all. At least that's not Paul's. Paul's perspective. Ezekiel 22, I'm going to read these. You could just write them down. I'm going to read them quickly for the sake of time. Ezekiel chapter 22, verses 31 through 32. It says, I will gather you and blow on you with the fire of my wrath, and you shall be melted in the midst of it. As silver is melted in a furnace, so you shall be melted in the midst of it, and you shall know that I am the Lord. I have poured out my wrath Upon you. And again, God's wrath is upon those, or rather in this context, was upon all those who chose to resist Him, who chose to reject Him, who chose to despise Him, who chose not to embrace His word. And the point is, that's what I said. Uh, let me move on. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 5 through 6. It says, For you may be sure of this. That everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Did you get that? A person who is engaged in active sin is a recipient of God's wrath. Anybody in society today who doesn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is a recipient of God's wrath. That's what the Bible teaches. It's what it taught in the Old Testament. It is certainly what it teaches today. Revelation 16.1 says, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, quote, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. In other words, there's going to come a time when a lot of people are actually going to suffer this side of heaven before the final judgment because they've rejected salvation in Christ Jesus. 
Anybody who walks this planet today who doesn't know Jesus Christ is the recipient of the wrath of God. And just because they got it going on, it doesn't, doesn't mean that God's wrath is not upon them. Listen, it doesn't matter how much money a sinner has in the bank. At the end of the day, there's going to be a fierce judgment upon their heads. What is it that Jesus Christ said? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? In fact, the psalmist says that the unbeliever, that the wicked seems to be spreading himself out like a green bay tree. I don't know why it says that. I guess that that's a special root system, right? That grows underground and spreads. I think you can relate with that when we think in terms of the sequoias, the, the, the redwoods, right? Did you know that it's one organism? Did you know that? They're not individual trees. It's one organism. In fact, it's the largest organism in the world. It's a root system that connects all the trees underground. Mm-hmm. Here it is, a Philadelphia, and I just taught you something, you Californians, huh? It's the largest organism in the world. Imagine that. Beautiful thing. Anyway, let's move on. So, the point is... Consider, here's the point, because I want to connect it with what we just read in Romans 5. I want you to go back to Romans 5 if you're not there already. I want to make the connection between this wrath of God and the grace of God. The point is, consider the dramatic change in God's attitude when our faith is applied to the truth of the death of His Son. This verse 1 began by saying that we are justified by faith. That means we have been declared righteous and you and I who know Jesus are no longer recipients of the wrath of God. It seems as if we are sometimes, right? When the sky is not blue over our head and we got all these issues and this drama and the phone is ringing off the hook and we have all of these problems, right? And we sort of become envious of the wicked because they seem to have none of these problems. I know in our ignorance... But I know in my heart of hearts that there's a, there's a vast distinction between me and you and the people who do not know Jesus Christ personally. At the end of the day, I don't care about the knee pain or the, or the lack of funds in the bank account. I know that because Jesus resides in my heart, I know that I'm going to spend eternity with him. How about you? Let me see your hand if you agree with that. And listen, that's the vast distinction between the wrath of God and the recipients of His wrath and those of us who find ourselves in Jesus Christ today. That's verse 1. Look at verse 1 again. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith gives us access to the peace of God. There's no wrath, no guilt, no shame. And we need to hear this, right? It sounds elementary because you've heard it a million times. We've been born into the grace of God. We are not a part of the Old Testament period today. So this has been like, we're like over-evangelized. It's like, we know this. We sleep with this. We wake up with this. We know it all too well. But sometimes we take it for granted, right? Because we know it so well, when trouble comes our way, where are you in your heart and in your mind with regard to that basic truth? 
Where are you in your heart and your mind when that bill when that bill comes in and you know you don't have the money to pay it or the mortgage or the health problems, right? At the end of the day, we have peace with God. There's no guilt and there's no shame. Sometimes, right? Because I got issues, right? Anybody perfect in here this morning? No, we all got issues, right? And sometimes I'm not always doing the right thing. The, the, the little things. I got no major issues, right? But, but sometimes, how many know, how many of you know that, that when we fail to do the things we know we should be doing, that's sin also, right? Those are sins of omission, right? And by, the Bible says that in James somewhere. James chapter 4, I think it is. And, and when I do things that are not appropriate that I shouldn't be doing from time in the past, say 15, 20 years ago, 25 years ago when I first gave my heart to Jesus, I wrestled with this thing. It's like I had this burden of guilt and shame. Anybody, don't raise your hand, but anybody still struggle with that here today? It's very well possible that a lot of us do. So it's worth noting this. Listen, in Jesus Christ, be done with the shame and be done with the guilt. Be done with it. Because we've been declared righteous. And if you need me to stay right here in this point, I will do that. And we'll close with that. But this is extremely, extremely important. Paul the Apostle just came out of this dialogue, this debate this question and answer thing with everybody in Rome that didn't necessarily agree with his doctrinal position. And now he goes into it smoothly, but innocently, and on this elementary level, and we cannot afford to miss the point that in Jesus Christ we've been declared righteous. In Jesus Christ I have peace today. No matter what my wife says to me, I got peace today. No matter how she treats me, I got peace today. The couch is comfortable, Janine. In case you're thinking that. The couch is very comfortable. No, you weren't thinking? <laughs> she said, I don't appreciate your tone. That's what she's thinking. Let, let's move on. I want to share this first. This speaks to this point too. If, in case you're writing down notes. John 1. 12 and 13, verses 12 and 13. John 1, verses 12 and 13. It says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I love that. I, I stand on this. My soul, the depths of my soul, I'm rooted and grounded in this. Rooted. When he got a hold of me, there was nothing left of me. I totally destroyed my life. I shattered my life. I was empty. I was wicked. I was done. And when he showed me, when I, somebody said, you read the book of John, son. Read the book of John. My old head in prison. He read the book of John. And I read, this was one of the first verses that I read. And that, that just, it's like a sledgehammer. The beauty and innocence of that verse, of those two verses. Not of the blood of man, but the blood of Christ. Not of the will of the flesh. I have nothing to do with my right standing in Jesus Christ today. Jesus and everything he did for me and for you on the cross makes us, affords us this beauty that we enjoy today. How many love that? 
Amen. Verse number 2, Romans 5. It says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And this is the second point that I was mentioning earlier in our study today. And it is, if you're writing down, faith has given us access to God's grace. Faith has given us access to God's grace. And this is one of those points that, again, because we, like, know it so well, it seems trivial or meaningless, yet there's so much substance in here for you and I. And the implication is powerful. Paul the Apostle is implying that we have constant, get this, that we have constant and lifelong access to God's unmerited favor. That we have constant and lifelong access to God's unmerited favor. And why is that so important here this morning? Because the first point speaks to this, that, this initial step into the kingdom of God. Right? I'm a sinner. Somebody invites me to Jesus. I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Right here and right now, in this space, I know Jesus and I am saved. But what about the rest of my life? Because right for a season we enter into this, it's like the sky is blue over your head every single day. How many remember that? Shortly after you get, no? Okay. Shortly after you gave your heart to Jesus, it's like everything clicked. I don't know about you, but it did for me. It's like he, 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 he bore me in his arms. He carried me for a long while before he dropped me on my head. Right? And, and during that time when he carried me, it felt good. It's like, What? It's like I felt invincible, right? Abominable even. And then he put me down gently. And he gave me hope. And passages, verses like that one, chapter 5, verse 2. Give me knowledge. Give me substance. It gives me experience today. For the rest of my life, I know that I have access, unlimited access to God's unmerited favor. That's powerful. Because some of us really got some deeply rooted issues. And sometimes, again, not to belabor this point, but sometimes we go through life and we feel as if the grace of God has expired. We've exhausted it. It ran out. There's no more for us. How many feel like that? Be honest. From time to time. You see? I'm not the only one. And sometimes we feel like that. And guess what the good news is? We cannot exhaust the grace of God. There's no such thing. Amen. Amen. And anybody who tells you that we can, listen, you just right out, right out that door. Because it's just not true. It's just not true. And we're going to see it next week when we get into the verses after verse 5. Verse 8, for example. Read verse 8 with me. Chapter 5, verse 8. It says, But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, it says much more, much more. When we were sinners, He loved us in spite of ourselves, and He died for us. Now that we have been reconciled to... I'm not reading anymore, by the way, because <laughs> I see many of you looking down. He loved us then, and He died for us. Now that we've been reconciled to Him, 
much more now, much more. How is he not going to really bless us now, this side of repentance? It gets better now. It's better, Hudson. It's better now. And I love my Jesus. Grace is not something that's here today and gone tomorrow. It's just not true. It's just not true. And there are a lot of religions that teach that. Oh, you did that one thing. What if the trumpet sounds when you're in the middle of your sin? Some people, how many ever heard that before? What if you're doing something, you're supposed to be in church, you're not in church. What if the rapture occurs and you're not in church, you're going to stay behind? Oh, Lord, have mercy. That's a Pentecostal thing. I had to shake that off the hard way. Lord, have mercy. John 10, I want to prove this point. John 10, if you're writing down. John chapter 10, verses 10 through 15. It speaks to this indirectly. It says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. He says, I am the good shepherd. Listen to your shepherd. He says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Did you hear that? I got that in bold. It says, the good shepherd lays down, the, lays down his life for the sheep. He who, is, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming <laughs> and he leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. That's, that's powerful. That's the love of God. That's what we call unmerited favor. That's Romans 5, 8. Unmerited favor. And that's the kind of relationship that we have with God. And faith in Christ, according to Romans 5, faith in Christ makes it possible. You and I today have access to salvation in Christ by faith and faith alone. And, and, and obviously the implication is that God loves us. Listen to this. And that He will always offer us the grace needed to carry on with life according to His will. It says that He will always offer us the grace needed to carry on with life according to His will. And if you're writing down Second Corinthians chapter 12, verses beginning with verse 9, where Paul the Apostle goes before the Lord because he's got this issue, right? We don't know what the issue is. And he wants to get over, get past. He wants to press through and get on the other side of this problem. And God says, no, 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 not at all. Not at all. I got you. I got you back. Don't worry about it because that issue that you have is necessary because these revelations that I'm giving you, I don't want it to get to you, go to your head and think that you can go on without me. No. And on the contrary, God says to him, no, no, you, you hang tight because my grace is sufficient for you, and my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Like, isn't that one of those, maybe I got the word wrong, oxymoron? That's not oxymoron. What's that? Uh, irony or whatever? I don't know. You, you tell me later, Tim. But how is it possible that something good can come from something not so good? 
You see the, like, wait a minute. So, that's, that's the beauty of it. It has nothing to do with you and I. God's got this. Right? He began it, and He's going to finish it. Right? So that we can never, never, so that we can never pat ourselves on the back. It's the grace of God. It's, it's, you and I, this side of heaven, will never thoroughly be able to understand the grace of God. It's just our minds, we don't have the mental capacity to thoroughly understand it. Now, I want you to listen to this. Because I want to share some passages, passages with you. Matthew 28, beginning with verse 18 through 20. I want you to listen to Jesus' last words to his disciples. And Jesus came and said to them, All, authorities, all, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And here's the relevant part. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I am with you always. He calls his disciples. He equips them for ministry. He gifts them. He blesses them. He sends them out, and then he tells them, knowing in his mind that they were going to end up dead, martyred. He said, listen, I'm with you always. I don't know about you, but that means everything to me. It means everything to me. That, you know, there are some religions whose God is not a personal God. He's an impersonal God. They got impersonal gods, rather. Not, not ours. Not ours. I, I don't know about you, but I serve a risen. I'm trying to keep myself behind this thing. I, I, trust me, I am. I'm trying. I want to run around this place because of this. This means a lot to me. It means a lot to me. It means a lot. But if, for some reason, your life is rooted in some personal accomplishment, you're going to take this for granted. If, for some reason, you're dependent upon the money in your bank, you're going to take this for granted. If for some reason you got it going on and you don't need anything in life and your, your, your view, your world view is on the natural and the natural alone, you're going to take this for granted. This is going to go right over your head. And it happens all the time. It happens all the time in our mainline churches. The big, big churches, mainline Presbyterians, Lutheran, Episcopalians, they take this for granted because their lives are perfect on the natural. They got all the money, they got the families, the jobs, the careers, and all that stuff, and they miss this. The beautiful simplicity of this. Let's move on. Paul the Apostle, he's telling his people to take joy, or rather Jesus Christ, rather, in Matthew 28. He's telling his disciples to take joy in knowing that he was always going to be with them. Verse 2, again, there's a little more to verse 2. It says, um, we rejoice in the hope... Of the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This is important and it's twofold. Number one, I can rejoice today because my heavenly father is actively involved in my life. And number two, I am able to rejoice today in the fact that one day he will fulfill everything concerning me and I shall see him face to face. That's the promise that we've been given. First Thessalonians chapter 4 talks a lot about that. 
Beginning with verse 16, I think it is. Paul the Apostle in that context was talking about the end times and stuff like that and all these difficulties. And he, wait a minute, wait a minute, I want you to be of good cheer. And he gives them this comfort in knowing that there's going to come a day when we're going to stand before God and we're going to be with Him forever and ever. And how long is forever? <laughs> Zoe, duh, forever. I want to give you some statistics that I looked up. And these are recent statistics, but I want to read this first. It says, did you know that children who grow up in fatherless homes have a greater, greater risk of major challenges in life than those who grow up with a father at home? I'm going to read that again. I, I didn't even understand it myself. I'm thinking of what's behind this. Did you know that children who grow up in fatherless homes have a greater risk of major challenges in life than those, than those who grow up with a father at home. And the reason why I'm reading this here is because of what it says, that latter portion of verse 2 that we just finished reading. It's important. It says that we can, let me read it again, the latter part of verse 2. It says, verse 2 says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. But there are a lot of people. See, we, we can rejoice in the, in the way that Paul the Apostle is laying out here. Because we know our Heavenly Father. And the reason for these statistics is because there are a lot of people in society today here in this Western culture who do not have a father at home. And I want to give you some stats. According to the Annie E. Casey Foundation... Approximately 35% of children under 18 live in a single-parent home as of 2016. As many as 25% of children in the United States live in households with a mother alone. And that is 18 million children who do not live with a father figure. 18 million at the very least. As of 2016, 18 million children who do not live with a father figure. According to the Department of Justice, father, fatherless children account for 63% of youth suicides. Fatherless children account for 63% of youth suicides. This is according to the Department of Justice, the DOJ. Fatherless children account for 90% of homeless and runaway youth. According to the DOJ, fatherless children account for 85% of all children that exhibit behavioral disorders. And again, fatherless children account for 71% of all high school dropouts. Fatherless children. And again, fatherless children account for 70% of juveniles in state-operated institutions. It's crazy. We know one, personally. Because in this church, we've been working with him and the family for a very long time. And again, fatherless children account for 75% of adolescent patients in substance abuse centers. Addicted to drugs. And alcohol. How many of you have seen those videos depicting the streets of, say, um, no, 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 in Central America? 
He, we know about the stats, the craziness here in the States. But if you look up some of the videos on YouTube of little children in the streets of, say, um, um, Central America, any, any Central America nation, any, any one of them, any one of them, El Salvador or Nicaragua or Guatemala, any single one of them, if the, listen, it'll make you cry for a year. That treats little children, five, six, seven, eight years old, sniffing what we call tawa, sniffing glue, sniffing glue in the streets, burning the brain cells. Little children addicted to snuff, they call it in some spaces. It's just crazy. And again, fatherless children account for 75% of rapists motivated by displaced anger. Fatherless children. And last one. No, this is a verse. Hebrews 13, 5. According to our Heavenly Father, He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And listen, some of us may have, may have been raised without a father at home. And it was difficult. And you're probably still dealing with some of, those, some of those difficulties. But there's good news in this passage. And the good news is that in Christ Jesus, we have access full time, all the time, Perpetual access to our Heavenly Father because of what Jesus Christ accomplished for us at the cross. Daddies make promises all the time, right? And sometimes we often fail, yet my Heavenly Father will never fail to keep His promises. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. you got to put that down in your notes. Numbers 23, 19. It says, God is not a man that He should lie. Or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Listen, if God has made you a promise today, it doesn't matter what you're going through. Excuse me. It doesn't matter what you're going through. He's going to fulfill it in your life. But according to Romans chapter 12 verse 2. And according to Romans chapter 8 verse 28. We have to be in sync. I believe in free will. I'm not 100% Calvinist. Not even close. I believe in free will. So I believe I don't have, I don't, I can't work to get to heaven. I received that by faith. I've settled that issue a long time ago. But I know that I have to pursue the face of God on a daily basis if he is to fan out his will for my life. That's what I believe. I just believe that. I believe in my will. I can hurt the, the, the God, not the grace of God, but God's will from being fulfilled. Yes, I can be saved for the rest of my life. But if I'm not obedient to him, what's that going to do for, for my development? What's it going to do for my development? Verse number three. It says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. And I'm going to end it with this verse. It says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And this is the third principle in our study today. The principle is proper perspective during tough times. Proper, or rather faith, gives us Proper perspective during tough times. 
And this point is different from the previous one in that this one contains a slight negative connotation because it's referring to hardships. It's talking about difficulties that you and I are going to go through. Not may, not probably. We are going to go through some difficulties. We find that in 2 Timothy chapter 2, somewhere in that neighborhood. And the fact is the world is in a fallen state. And we will always find ourselves dealing with tough times and tough people. There are always going to be difficulties in our lives. And let me ask you this question. What mindset should we have when we find ourselves going through difficult times? Should we allow ourselves to feel abandoned? Should we allow ourselves to feel ashamed? Should we allow ourselves to feel guilty or depressed or full of anxiety or anything, other, any, anything else like that? Paul, in this verse, he says that we can actually rejoice in our sufferings. Now, I was curious, so I looked at that Greek word for suffering. And the word is philipsis, T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S, T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S, philipsis. And it means pressure, affliction, burdened, persecution. Tribulation or troubles. It's the difficulties that we find ourselves in due to our stand for truth. How many feel that way from time to time, right? It's not easy to stand up for the Word of God. It's not easy to take on the Word of God, to take ownership of the Word of God, and to live it out in this society that we are part of today. And yet Paul the Apostle says that we can rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Listen to this. Because of the unlimited scope of God's grace in our lives. The unlimited scope, it's far-reaching. There's no limit to what the grace of God can do, to what God can do in our lives through His grace. Grace doesn't stop at conversion. It actually ramps up during our difficulties. Did you hear that? I'm going to say that again. Grace does not stop at conversion. It does not stop when you find yourself going through some tough times. It actually ramps up. And the more difficulties that you, that you find yourself going through, the more grace ramps up in our lives. That's why I shared the verse with you earlier, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 9. And Paul's difficulty. God says, I got you. My grace is going to be perfected in your life through your weaknesses. And it's crazy. We don't understand it, but it's true. What else does Paul say? He says, suffering produces endurance. Look at that verse. It says, suffering produces endurance. That's something good coming from something seemingly bad. God is able to work out the kinks in our lives. He's able to work out the growth and the development that you and I are supposed to go through, through our difficult times. How many know that, how many of you ever visited, what's, in the, what's that big bear, the large mountain here that people go skiing on? Can you visit that mountain in the summer when there is no snow, or is there always snow on that mountain? You can mountain bike? Okay, well, I don't know, don't laugh at me. So you can go up there? No, I'm not going on that ride with you, forget that. The devil is a liar. So, suppose you make it up to that mountain. You're going, to struggle, you're going to struggle to get there, right, on foot. 
Let's say we go on foot, and God forbid, on a bike. Right? You're gonna, we're going to wrestle to get up on that mountain. But once you're on top, the suffering is over. You can rest. You can relax. You can actually take in the view and rejoice in taking in that view as long as you're on the mountaintop. Right? And God often allows us to experience these mountaintop experiences where, every, where everything seems to be perfect. Everything's in sync. Everything's no issues. No, no drama. No problems with the wife. None of that stuff. Right? But how many of you know, how many of you know that there's no growth and development on the mountaintop experience? The mountaintop experience serves to shape perspective, to give vision, to enhance purpose, that mental peace. You're up there, you're viewing, you're taking it in. God is breathing. He's regenerating. He's giving you strength again, right? Because sometimes we find ourselves weary, but there's no spiritual development there. It's perspective. It's when you start going down that mountain... And the lactic acid begins to flow through the muscles again and everything begins to burn like I feel right now from moving into the new apartment yesterday. Right? Thank you, Victor, for helping me out with that sofa. Lord have mercy. Listen, it's when you start going down the valley of the shadow of death when you begin to experience the hand of God at work in in your life. That's when growth begins to operate the best. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 It says that we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto all good works. That's sort of synonymous with Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a hope and a future. So God has this wonderful plan in store for us. And it unfolds during our difficult times. It's a fact. We want to run from our problems. Can I get the worship team? I'm going to stop right here. Can you come? We run from our issues. We run from our troubles. Hear me with this. We like to run from difficult times. We even especially run from confrontation. When we're wrong and somebody's about to confront us about something that we've done wrong, said wrong, whatever, or did not do at all, knowing that we were supposed to. Difficulty... Hurts. Difficulty hurts because it produces pain within us and we don't like pain. Right? But we, as God's children, need to learn how to yield our lives to God in spite of the difficulties. Because that's exactly when we're going to learn the most. Stand with me, church. Let us worship. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you so much. For this time in your presence. We thank you so much, Lord God, for this time in your word. We learned a few things this morning, Lord God. We looked over a few verses. And it's encouraging, Lord God. Number one, to know that by faith, I've been justified and I have access to your grace. That by faith, I can also rejoice when I find myself in difficult, tough times. Father, I am thankful that I can never exhaust your grace. That for the rest of my life, Father, I pray that everybody in here hears this clearly, Lord God. 
but coming from you. That for the rest of our lives, we have unfettered access to the unlimited grace of God. And I'm so thankful for that, Lord God. I'm thankful that you've saved us. Saved us, And I'm thankful, Father God, that you've forgiven our sins. And that today, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we are in right standing with you. These things we pray, giving you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a little bit. I want to invite. I want to invite um, Angie, Chewy. Can you come up quickly? Uh, Ron, can you come up? Um, Jen, can you come up? Stand for your mother, please. Um, anybody else who has a sick loved one? We just want to pray. Just, just pray. Anybody else sick? You got an issue with your physical body? Can we pray over you, please? You know somebody who is, and you want to stand for that person. Why don't you come? Um, Michelle, can you come stand for your mother, please? Anybody else? This is a great opportunity. Can I get the elders to come? Deacons, if you're here too, please. We just want to include God in everything that we do here. And we do not want to make the mistake of neglecting the ill among us. It's just not right. We're not, we're not going to name it, claim it, blab it, and grab it. I'm not doing it. I, we don't, I don't do that. I'm not that kind of guy. Amen? Let's just pray. Church, can we pray? Extend your hands this way, please. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for these, your people, your precious people. But Father, they're, they're afflicted. They're infirmed. Some of them have diseases like cancer, perhaps even diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, inflammation, rheumatoid arthritis, some other illness. Father, we call upon you right here in this space in the name of Jesus Christ. And we just simply invite you here into this situation. We give this to you, Father God. May you reach into the lives that are here and into the many lives that are represented right here, Lord God, and behind me as well. Can you bring healing to our bodies, Father God? Can you give wisdom to the doctors, to the nurses, to the other staff, medical personnel, and to the care persons at home, like Michelle and others and Jen and... And the others who are taking care of moms and dads that are here in this place today. Father, please, can you rejuvenate? Can you give us strength, Lord God? And we thank you so much for it. We believe, Lord God. And we praise you in Jesus' name. And God's people say, Amen. God bless you. You guys are dismissed. Thank you so much. I'll see you guys Wednesday.